Thanks for watching this video from Cherry Hills Church. During this series, we want to spend time with Jesus to learn from Jesus how to live the way of Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Well, hey, everybody, good morning. It is good to see you this morning. Just to get it out of the way, if I cough or have to take a drink, uh, I do not have COVID. I'm dealing with some bronchitis and some asthma. That's all it is. Take a deep breath. We're okay. Um, Did you know that if you take all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you put them together to get a chronological picture of the life of Jesus that we have recorded We have approximately 52 days of Jesus' life. We have about 52 days of Jesus' life. And of those 52 days combined, there's not a lot of examples of what a 24-hour period in the life of Jesus looks like. And today, we actually get a glimpse of one of those in Mark. We're in a series in the Gospel of Mark called The Way of Jesus because we want to spend time with Jesus. Most of this year, we want to spend time with Jesus to learn from Jesus how to live the way of Jesus. And the verses that we're going to be looking at today take place over a 24-hour period. It's a look into the day in the life of Jesus. So to do that, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. It's about two-thirds of the way back. It's the second Book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. We're going to pick up in verse 21. If you don't have a Bible with you, we have black Bibles in the seat back in front of you. You can grab one of those. We want everybody to have a copy of God's Word. And I think today we're covering so many verses. It would be good to have God's Word open so you can circle things or or write some things down. And Mark, chapter 1, can be found on page 812 of those black Bibles. So what we're going to do today, because we do have so many verses, we're going to walk through verses 21 to 45, and we're going to stop and make some observations and comments about what's going on. We'll spend a day with Jesus, and then at the end, I want to wrap this all up by providing you with what I believe is going on and the big idea that Mark wants us to see, all right? All right, would you read the first gray box on your notes or on the screen with me? It says, they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The they in these verses is Jesus and the first four disciples that he is called. Steve taught on this last week. So it's Jesus, and it's Simon Peter, his brother Andrew, James, and his brother John. That's the crew that's going into Capernaum. And we're told they're in a town called Capernaum. I want to put a map on the screen so you can see where that is. Capernaum is circled. Jesus grew up in a town called Nazareth. That's listed in red about 20 miles southwest. Galilee, it's in a region called Galilee. And it's a region that's about 60 miles long and 30 miles wide. There's 250 towns in this region called Galilee, which made it an ideal place for Jesus to travel and teach. And just so you have your geographic bearings, Jerusalem would be about 80 miles to the south of the bottom of that map. So Jesus and his friends are in Capernaum. And we're told they enter Capernaum on the Sabbath. For Jewish people, the Sabbath is from sunset to sunset, Friday night to Saturday night. So the event we're going to start with today takes place on a Saturday morning. 
They're in Capernaum on a Saturday morning and they enter the synagogue. In Jesus' time, people could not just hop on an airplane or get in a train or in a car and go to Jerusalem, remember 80 miles to the south, to go to the temple. So groups of Jewish people, you needed 10 people, they started synagogues in different towns. And these synagogues were the center of Jewish life. Students were educated here during the week, and then first thing on Saturday morning, the Jewish community would gather for prayer and teaching from the scriptures. And Jesus teaches at the synagogue on the Sabbath. And then we're told in verse 22, if you're following along, the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. People were amazed at his teaching. Most teachers, most rabbis in Jesus' day, what they would do is they would get up, they would open the scriptures, they would read the scripture, and then they would quote other rabbis. They would say, oh, well, Rabbi Shammai says this, or Rabbi Hillel says this. They just quoted other people. But what we see throughout the gospels, that Jesus would frequently say, you have heard it said, but I say to you. He taught as one with authority. And this word authority implies supernatural authority. How cool is this? The, the meaning of this word means out of the original stuff. Authority is out of the original stuff. And there's something about Jesus teaching because the author of the story is teaching people the story. If you're following in a notes, Jesus teaching has authority. It's interesting. Mark tells us nothing about the content of Jesus' teaching in the passage. Mark's focus is on the one who is teaching. His authority and the astonishing response of the hearers. This is why we submit ourselves to the word of God and why we encourage you to spend time in the Bible and let it shape your life because Jesus' teaching has authority. Jesus is teaching in the synagogue, on the Sabbath, in Capernaum, and the people are amazed. And we pick up in verse 23. If you're following along in your Bibles or on the screen, just then, the word could also be immediately, immediately shows up 40 times in the gospel of Mark. A man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet said Jesus sternly, come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Hard stop. We need to spend a little bit of time here because it's important as we watch Jesus get started in his ministry. Last week, Steve talked about how, if you're following in your notes, Jesus is the king that has arrived to usher in his kingdom. He's the king, and he's arrived to usher in his kingdom. And Steve taught that we are invited to submit to the authority of this king and accept Jesus' call to be disciples who make disciples. And what we're about to talk about 
in this scene only makes sense if we recognize that there are two kingdoms at work in this world. And those two kingdoms are diametrically opposed to each other. If you're following in your notes, there's two competing kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. And these kingdoms have different goals. They have different end games. God's desire is that all people would be saved and live in relationship with him now and forever. Satan's objective is to destroy God's people and defame God's glory. That's what he's going for. And just so we're on the same page here, Satan is not a guy dressed in a red suit with a pitchfork and horns. Let's let's get that out of our minds. Satan is an angel created by God who rebelled against God. And in Revelation 12, we read that Satan was thrown out of heaven and his demons with him to wage war on God's people. And those spirits and demons led by Satan now continually work out evil in the world. 1 Peter 5, 8, a book in the New Testament, the Peter who was with Jesus in Capernaum wrote this. In 1 Peter 5, 8, he says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaming lion looking for someone to devour. Lions prowl for one reason, and that's to kill their prey. And these evil spirits are at work now in the world directing governments bringing sickness, promoting division, tempting us to sin, destroying lives through abject poverty, destroying lives through abuse, destroying lives through addiction and violence and racism and destroying the lives of the unborn through unjust laws. Listen, I'm not encouraging you to walk around and start looking for a demon behind everything. But as followers of Jesus, we need to know there is more going on around us than we can see. Tim Keller, pastor in New York City, has a great quote about recognizing the fact that there's more going on that we can see. He said, as long as you look at your problems and the problems of this world strictly in terms of flesh and blood, you're going to, be, to inevitably and continually be defeated. Christians around the world are way more attuned to this than we are in the West. We, we just are in this camp where everything needs to be explained or we have to see it to believe it. And as followers of Jesus, we just need to recognize there's more going on around us than we know and that we can see. In fact, I got a message this week from Fritz Klein. Many of you know Fritz and Linda in our church family. They go to Cambodia several months a year to partner with our missionaries, John and Debbie Coates. And I can't make this up. As I'm studying for this this week, I get a message from Fritz that simply said, pray for a demon-possessed woman named Mig. Okay, God, you got my attention. And when I asked for some more details, Fred said, Fritz said that her parents believe someone put a spell on her. He said, you can pay witch doctors here to do that. And Cambodian black arts are considered stronger than in Thailand or Vietnam, and they are more feared. Her parents have spent a lot of money to get her help to no avail. And when it entered her, she lost her ability to speak and became very strong. I share that so we have an imagination that this stuff is real. And we are at war with the kingdom of Satan. There are two competing kingdoms in this world. 
So with that background, with that, that knowledge that there's these two kingdoms, let's go back to our text where we see a man with an impure spirit speak out against Jesus. And all of this is happening in the synagogue with people watching. And we need to know this wouldn't have been out of the ordinary. Exorcisms were fairly common in biblical times. And we have historical records that tell how some of these exorcisms that were performed, there was drama and pageantry and ceremonies that were extravagant that went along with them. And what I want us to notice is Jesus doesn't do any of that. He sternly says, be quiet, come out of him. The words used literally mean that he muzzled the impure spirit. It's the same word Jesus will use in chapter 4 when he speaks to the storm. Jesus speaks a word and the man is set free. And what Mark is trying to communicate at the outset of Jesus' ministry, if you're following in your notes, is that Jesus has authority over evil spirits and his kingdom is greater than the kingdom of Satan, also called the kingdom of this world. Jesus comes with the authority of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to dismantle the kingdom of Satan. And verse 28 says that news spread all through Galilee. And what we can take from that is what happens in Capernaum does not stay in Capernaum. So let's continue. Verse 29. As soon, immediately, again, As they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. Peter's mother-in-law had a fever. They probably lived at Peter's house. That was probably Jesus' headquarters in Capernaum was Peter's house. And a fever was a very serious thing in the ancient world. And Jesus goes to her takes her by the hand, and he heals her. The story is told in the Gospel of Luke. It tells us the same story, except Luke includes that he rebuked the fever. A supernatural authority, similar to what we saw in the synagogue. So what Mark wants us to know in this scene, if you're following in your notes, is that Jesus has authority over sickness. Jesus has authority over sickness. So it's now Saturday night. The Sabbath has ended. All that took place Saturday. It's now Saturday night. The Sabbath has ended. And we read in verse 32. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon possessed. The whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. The word of Jesus' power and authority is getting out and crowds of people are are showing up at Peter's house to be healed by Jesus. And he heals many diseases. We see that phrase. And we also see the phrase, and he cast out impure spirits. So let me clarify something important here. Jesus healed all kinds of diseases and he casts out many demons, two different types of healing. Listen, this is important. All disease and sickness is the result of sin. 
We live in a fallen, broken world, but not all disease and sickness is the result of demonic oppression and activity. Satan and his demons may inflict physical illness, but not all physical afflictions are demonic in origin. And I say that because I want us to know that being sick does not equal the activity of unclean spirits, and the answer to being sick isn't always just pray harder. There's always a spiritual component to what we're dealing with. But we believe in medicine and we believe in science and we believe that God has given people specific gifts to be researchers, doctors, and nurses to help us in our sicknesses. That's important to say out loud. Personally, I am grateful for anti-anxiety medication. I am grateful for skilled biblical counselors. I'm thankful for doctors that can help us in our sickness. And at some point later in the evening, Jesus is finally able to go to sleep. And we're told in verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Here's just a question to ponder. I think just biblical imagination Did you ever think that Jesus was exhausted from healing people and casting out evil spirits? He was fully human. And we're told in other places in scripture that power left him when he healed people. I have to imagine he was exhausted after a day and night of healing people. So Jesus goes to bed late and he gets up early. Early in the morning is another way of saying sometime between 3 and 6 a.m. And he went out to the wilderness, same word as when he was tempted, to pray, to prepare himself to join God in his mission to preach the kingdom of God and battle the kingdom of darkness. He went out to be silent in solitude. If you're following in your notes, prayer was crucial for Jesus' ministry. The gospel of John chapter five, verse 19 says, the son can do nothing by himself. And so Jesus is demonstrating his dependence upon God, dependence for guidance, direction, encouragement, strengthening, and power. I think sometimes we just think like Jesus had this planner that was filled up just like our planner, but I actually wonder if Jesus got up early in the morning and said, Lord, where do you want me to go today? Who do you want me to see today? And he wouldn't have known that without spending time with the Father in prayer. And here's the deal. If Jesus needed to be alone with the Father in prayer, how much more do we? This is why we began the year with 21 days of prayer and fasting. And sometimes what happens to me is I feel like I'm too busy to pray, but Jesus was too busy not to pray. So let me ask you, do you have intentional times set in your calendar to spend time with Jesus in silence and solitude, to acknowledge your dependence and to be empowered by his Holy Spirit for your day. Do you have those times set aside? I wanna encourage you to carve that out and be intentional with that. If Jesus needed it, how much more do we? And while Jesus is praying, we read in verse 36, Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. 
the words, Simon and his companions, quote, went to look for him is not strong enough. The word is actually hunt him down. They went to hunt him down. And Peter's words are almost a rebuke, right? Peter's the one that just says what comes to mind all the time. It's almost a rebuke. Everyone's looking for you. In other words, what are you doing here, Jesus? This is not where you should be. You need to be with the crowds. We are building a following. Things are beginning to happen. You do not have time to be alone and pray. And to Peter's command in verse 38, Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I've come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. And this is curious. Why not go back to Capernaum where the band is playing hype music and they're waiting for you to come and do more miracles? Why not? And while this might, we we think this might be great advertising for Jesus' ministry. He'll get more followers. Jesus knew it could get in the way of his mission. His mission was to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. People were being healed, yes, but I'm not sure they wanted to hear the good news. They didn't want to repent of their sins and submit to Jesus as king. I love this quote I read this week. An author said, Jesus did not want to be a miracle worker in a sideshow. He wanted to be the savior of their souls. And like the people in Capernaum, we just need to be careful that we want the giver more than we want the gift. Yes, we can see God work in incredible ways, but he alone is our treasure. We want him more than anything else. And while Jesus is on his way to the next town, because he's not going back to Capernaum right now, we read in verses 40 to 42. Would you read this with me in the second gray box or on the screen? A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. We know this took place between towns because a person with leprosy was not allowed to enter a city or a village. Leprosy was a skin disease that was believed to be highly contagious. We now know that is not true. But at the time of this story, lepers were outcasts. This man had been cut off from Jewish life. He was considered unclean. And if anyone came within any distance of him, he had to shout the words, unclean, unclean. I mean, can you imagine the humiliation and the shame that went along with that? One historian wrote that lepers were treated as if they were, in effect, already dead. And the leper violated every rule and custom of society. He was desperate and he believed only Jesus could heal him and make him clean. And he came and he knelt and he begged, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And we're told that Jesus was moved with compassion. This word means his like insides were wrenched. And Jesus touched him. Don't skip over that. This is incredible. 
If the man had a wife, he had not known her touch or embrace for years. If he had kids, there'd been no kiss, no hug, no touch, not even one. He had to long for a touch. And we need to know that as a Jewish person, let alone a rabbi, they would never touch a leper. Never. The Jewish scriptures say that if a clean person touches an unclean person, the clean person becomes unclean. But Jesus touched him. And if you're following in your notes in Jesus, we see that the unclean are made clean. And while this is a literal story of healing, And another example of Jesus' power and authority over sickness. This story carries a greater meaning because leprosy in the Bible was frequently used to give us a picture of sin that was inside of us and would spread until it ultimately kills us. So what this healing also reveals to us, if you're following in your notes, is that Jesus has authority over sin. Jesus takes our leprosy and our sin and he gives us his righteousness, his cleanness. And then our day with Jesus ends with Jesus instructing the healed man with these words. Verse 43 says, Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, the man went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Again, we see Jesus' popularity continues to grow as people witness his power and authority, but Jesus doesn't want the celebrity. He is fixed on the mission God has given him to preach the good news of the kingdom. So four stories. Kind of connected, but seemingly random. And in our last few minutes, let me try to pull this together for us because what is happening is powerful and can strengthen our faith. These are not random stories about miracles. These are not just random stories about exorcisms or healings. These are not random acts of kindness that show us that Jesus is a nice person. That's not the point Mark is trying to make. Remember, we said we live in a world with two competing kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. And if you're following in your notes, in this ordinary day in the life of Jesus, This ordinary day reveals signs of God's kingdom breaking in. These miracles, these healings, these exorcisms are signs of God's kingdom breaking in. This is Mark's way of saying, this is what God's rule looks like. It is a glimpse of the power and authority and healing and renewal of the kingdom of God and what is coming in full one day, but is here now in part. Author David Garland captures this idea when he writes this. I wanted to put this on the screen for you. He says, Jesus casting out demons and healings is an undeniable sign that the kingdom of God has come and Satan's realm is being routed. 
They are not routine miracles. They represent the inevitable submission of this world and its powers to the reign of God. And let me provide you with one more idea about the inbreaking kingdom of God and what we saw today in these verses. And I think this idea could be a paradigm changer for us. Again, Tim Keller, a pastor in New York City, I'll put this on the screen for you. He says, we modern people think of miracles as the suspension of the natural order, but Jesus meant them to be the restoration of the natural order. The Bible tells us that God did not originally make the world to have disease, hunger, and death in it. Jesus has come to redeem where it is wrong and heal the world where it is broken. He's taking that from C.S. Lewis, but did you catch that? Let's be really clear. Miracles and healings are not a suspension of the natural order. They are glimpses of how things were always created to be and one day will be again. Miracles and healings are the kingdom of God breaking through the kingdom of darkness that we live in. The only thing that came to mind this week to like graphically show you an image on this is like it's, it's light piercing the darkness and revealing that it's all light underneath. If you're following in your notes, the miraculous reveals a glimpse of the way God created things to be and the way everything will be restored to. And that is good news. That is good news. And what we can do is we can ask for God's kingdom to come and partner with him in bringing more of the kingdom here so we see more and more of the kingdom of God. And the way we want to respond to God's word today is to give you time to pray if you are willing prayers. Those are the words of the leper. If you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean. And get this, the leper probably did not have a great theological understanding of who Jesus was. But he thought to himself, if he can do it for others, he can do it for me. He believed Jesus could heal him. So let me ask you, if you're following on your notes, let me leave you with this question. Where do you need the kingdom of God to break into your life? Where is it? Where do you need the kingdom of God to break into your life? What is it in your life that you need to pray? And if you are willing, prayer. We all have them. Maybe this is the day you want to pray for healing from sin. That is a prayer Jesus will answer every time. I mean, you say, God, I recognize I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and his authority over sin and death. If you are willing, forgive me and save me. And he will. Or maybe you're here and there's, there's just some weird things going on in your life that you can't explain. Night terrors, fear, 
uncontrollable anxiety, stuff from your past, continuous sickness, a stronghold in your life, an addiction? What do you need freedom from? Listen, I don't know if an evil spirit is causing that, but maybe. Followers of Jesus can't be possessed by evil spirits because we are God's possession, but we can be oppressed and influenced. And again, we don't think there's a demon behind everything, but maybe there is more going on than we think. You could pray today, and if you are willing, prayer. Or maybe you're here and you just need a move of God in your life. You need to see the kingdom come. Maybe it's sickness. Maybe it's a relationship or it's your kids or it's a sin habit that you continually struggle with. Or maybe it's just a negative thought pattern you can't escape. You need to be reminded you're a child of the most high God. You need a touch of the miraculous. You can pray, and if you are willing, prayer today. Like Jesus, we want to be a people who are dependent on God, expectant for him to work, calling out to him for the kingdom of God to break into our lives, our families, our church, and our community. And his answer may not always look like the way we want it to or we think it should, but we can call on him with expectation and dependence. So we just want to give you the gift of silence and praying if you are willing prayers. So take this time to do that. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like more information, visit cherryhillsfamily.org or find us on Facebook. 